This is the Falcon Twin Podcast from falcontwin.com. I'm Brendan, and this is commentary for pages 210 to 222. And questions. For the first time since I started the podcast, I've actually received questions, which I'm going to talk about later on in the show, probably thanks to the Alpha Shade interview that I've done, which is still up at alpha-shade.com, so go check that out. Page 210, Chapter 5, Enigma. Yeah, not to be confused with the German code device. Here we have another chapter opening that's an establishing shot, possibly the last one in Falcon Twin, and this is back to Near Lempra, even though I don't think I've explicitly stated that they're back in Near Lempra, that's where they are. And as usual, a lot of stuff going on. The sky not looking quite as good as I would have liked. I think the lower two-thirds or so looks fine, but the farther up you go, the more it sort of breaks down. Like I said, lots of stuff going on. There's a little Klampa in there. There's another ninja. There's the deputy standing there just sort of watching the world go by and making sure no one gets into trouble. And there's a dude passed out with some liquor or a bottle of beer or something next to him. And this was supposed to be in the evening. You're looking to the west here, so the sun is setting. And people weren't sure whether it was the evening or the morning, but some dude just got started drinking early and has already passed out. And this originally, I didn't intend to go straight from the scene with all of them in the restaurant in near Candela straight back to near Lempa. Originally, I was going to have another scene in there. It was going to be a scene, kind of a little jokey scene, where they were all in the hotel the next morning before they were going to head back to near Lempa. And Tresca wakes up early. Mika doesn't want to wake up and you know, swears at Tresca a whole lot about getting up early. So Tresca goes over to Evan's door and knocks on the door and says, Hey, let's get Mika up and you, know, you can set an example for her. And Evan was going to say something like, Did you know that there's a separate level of hell reserved for people who get up too early? And so Tresca was going to grumble and go over to Annika's room, although they ended up being in the same room. But originally she was going to go over to the room that Annika was in, knock on the door and say, Hey, Annika, could you get... And Annika was just going to go spark, kind of the same way that she did burn when she was in the fight with Sydney. And Tresco was going to get zapped by lightning and then be standing there all smoldering and say, maybe I'll sleep in today. Ha ha ha. It might have worked in Looney Tunes, but not so much in Falcon Twin. And, you know, I love Chuck Jones as much as the next guy, but it really wouldn't have been appropriate here. Also, as I mentioned in the last podcast, there's a little comedy thing where you have one person saying something and then cut immediately to a whole different scene that's doing exactly the opposite thing. So here we are. Two pages later, we see that Annika is still with them. So moving on, page 211, Artifactial. Now here they all are in the father's office discussing what exactly happened on their little outing here. We can already see that Mika and Tresca are there with them. Now why would Annika know the name of Braes and Prath? Wouldn't you like to know? And so it's a Sif artifact lost after the end of the war. As a reminder, this war happened 80 years ago, probably ended around 70 years ago. So there's still bits and pieces of the war that are left around. And remember that because, although this will be explained 80 to 90 pages from now, because the Sif were all about magic and doing magic stuff, presumably the artifacts they left would have some sort of desirable properties. Page 212. So this kind of establishes that whatever this particular artifact is that has desirable properties, it must be pretty important because a person like Sydney is not a resource that the Durad would just throw around chasing after irrelevant trinkets. If they sent her on a mission to go get it, they really must have wanted to get it. So Evan pretty much just tells everyone where they're going to be going next. And if you look in the background on panel 5, you can see Mika in there before she makes her actual appearance. And so here Evan has his orders, and in a minute I'm going to go over why Mika and Tresca are going along with him. Page 213. So Annika kind of flips out at the idea of destroying one of these artifacts. I wonder why. And the father explains that, well, there's a worse evil, I guess. 
Here we see that Tresca and Meek are kind of rifling through the father's stuff in his office. Probably not intending to steal stuff. I don't know, maybe Tresca is, but Mika isn't really. They're just looking through his stuff. I don't think Tresca would probably want to steal any of his things because mostly it's just books and little items that aren't worth too terribly much. And this is more exposition on Mika and her place in this world and how she fits in. As you can see, that her body doesn't conduct magic at all. And Annika freaks out in the background, not unlike the way that she did when she first healed Mika, as Mika holds the Nira ball looking sort of forlorn in the foreground on the last panel on page 213 here. Page 214, so Evans asked the father for a moment to talk with him privately. This wasn't actually in the dialogue of the strip, but that's the idea, which is sort of hinted at when the father says, what was it that you wanted to talk about? So out Tresca, Mika, and Annika go, and Evans on to Tresca so he knows that she's going to be doing something. So grabs the mallet, and I think everyone kind of knew what was coming up, but wasn't entirely sure I was going to give it to them. Page 215, I gave it to them. And so this was a fun little thing where Evan smashes the hammer against the door and freaks Tresca out. Annika has a nice expression as she's looking down at Tresca getting what she deserves. If you look carefully, you can also see that the lighting is slightly different between these two rooms. The room on the left is a little bit more orangish, and the room on the right is a little bit more pinkish-purplish. That's because the room on the left is to the north, and the room on the right is to the south. And so the room on the left is getting a little bit more of the light from the sun that's setting. So Evan strikes up a little conversation about Mika, now that they've got a few minutes to speak before Tresca starts eavesdropping on them again. And this was another thing that originally I was going to have a scene with them out in the hallway talking, Mika and Tresca. I don't really remember what I was going to have them talking about, which may be why I decided not to do the scene, but they were going to have some little sort of conversation about something. That may have been actually where I was going to have them do the near ball thing, but I ended up doing it in the office. So, page 216... Now Evan explains that Mika's gotten into a fight with Sydney, and the fact that she survived is kind of a shocker to the father. As it is to most people who hear about it, Tresca's parents sort of react in a somewhat similar, although perhaps not quite as exaggerated, way when they hear that Mika's fought with Sydney. I think they probably just don't believe it at all. Evan's not particularly sure why Mika's able to fight the way that she is either. And page 217, so... Here's the sort of payoff for this build-up in the conversation they've been having, which basically you have to have a reason for Mika and Tresca to go with Evan and Annika. We all know why Annika's going with Evan, but there needs to be a reason to motivate Mika and Tresca to go along with Evan. And, of course, Mika's going to go wherever Tresca goes, and Tresca's going to go wherever the money is, and so Evan needs to get money for Tresca, which comes up in the next page and is kind of implied in this page. I don't know if people really understood that. And people were trying to predict what exactly Evan was going to say. guess I didn't make it as obvious as it should have been, but Evan was just basically going to say that Mika's only going to travel with Tresca, and Tresca, you know, wants money, so give me money so that I can give it to Tresca. But people were making all kinds of predictions about what they were going to say. It was nothing fancy. It was just Evan would have finished the sentence by saying, and Tresca would need money if she were going to go along with me. A little bit of a guilt trip here, too, on Evan, with him having volunteered Mika for this task before he even talked to her. And also, the father says that Evan's free to, uh, to take Mika along as long as she goes on her own free will. But in reality, Evan, of course, wouldn't have brought this up, but in reality, Mika really wouldn't go on her own free will. She's just going wherever Tresca tells her to, basically. So Evan knows this and has to find a way to get Tresca to go along with him. Page 218, this is another one of those things where, you know, you say one thing and then cut immediately to the effects of it, either confirming it or denying it. In this case, it's confirming it, where Evan, you can, at least you were supposed to get the implicature that Evan is going to get money for Tresca, and here she gets her money. 
So this is them walking up the next morning out of near Lempra. That's the city down in the background there. And you can see them walking up the hill. The sun is in the eastern sky. And this just sort of is the little coda to that particular scene, which explains that that's how Evan managed to get Tresca and Mika to go along with him. I, I like the silhouettes in the first panel, particularly Annika. I like her posture. It's kind of interesting to look at. And page 219. So this is sort of another thing like Vallejo's Law, where basically I'm just bending the rules and saying, deal with it because obviously there's no way they could carry all the stuff that they really need to carry with them if they're just walking around all over the place. So presumably they have these magical bags that can hold amazing amounts of stuff. I always figured it kind of teleported it back to somewhere in Tresca's house, like some safe room that she has, but I don't think it's really a story point. And Mika is, of course, completely puzzled by this little bag, but Tresca changes the subject too quickly so that she doesn't get to ask about it. And a nice little bit of background here on this page for Annika. I like how she looks in panel four, but also I like this little bit of story, which actually covers a lot of ground very quickly. And you may be wondering why the Durad would want to kill Annika's father, and you should wonder that. I also like the way that Annika looks in the flashback, too, with her short hair. It's kind of cute. And here's a little break for the holiday, 2004. I guess I was feeling particularly emo at this time, and so decided to do a suitable holiday thing. So there's Mika upset because... She's not getting what she really wants, and if you don't know what she really wants, then you're probably not reading Falcon Twin very closely. Page 220, and so you know, Tresca asks the obvious question, why would the Durad want to kill your father? And Annika basically says that there's no obvious reason that anyone would want to kill her father, which should tell you that there is a non-obvious reason that people would want to kill her father. Because, I mean, the Durad may be assholes, but they don't just randomly, like, you know, go to people's houses and kill their fathers. And also, this is another instance of Mika forgetting a word and, and pronouncing it incorrectly, as she's done with, well, several words throughout the thing that I've mentioned in the podcast. She says Cindy instead of Sydney, just to indicate that, uh, that she's not always so good with words. And Annika's saying that she has to kill them all. I think she's probably serious about it, although I don't think that she actually expects to accomplish it. And page 221, monster kill, a nice little callback to Unreal Tournament. And Annika doesn't really remember a whole lot about her mother and says that she's killed about 300 Durad, which explains a lot about her character and also explains why the Durad want to get her so much. I was doing the math to figure out exactly how many she killed, and so I think that she was about 16 or so when her father was killed. And I don't think it's mentioned in the strip. Now that she's 21, that's been five years, which is 60 months. And if she's killed 300 Durad, that's only about five people a month, really. So it's not too many. It's something, you know, completely manageable. And especially, you know, she can whack two guys just, you know, in an instant. So five guys in a month is not a problem at all. So Mika is looking on skeptically. I don't think she really believes the 300 number. And you also notice that Annika says possibly two or 300 in panel four. But in the last panel, she says every one of those 300. So it's really a lot closer to the 300 figure. Anyways, like I said, Mika looking skeptical. Tresca probably taking Annika at face value, which is probably more correct. And Evan's about to give Annika another lecture, but as before, she's really not interested in hearing it. And finally, page 222, speaking of which, which ties into Annika's dialogue from the previous page where she says every one of those 300 got what they deserved. And in this case, she's talking about these guys about to get what they deserved. Who are these guys? They're the four bandidos. And someone was bitching at me about my use of bandidos because it's apparently not a Spanish word, but I just wanted something that sounded like Doritos. And so I came up with banditos. Because, you know what, people, I don't really know Spanish, and not only do I not know Spanish, I also don't particularly care whether I use it correctly. Annika probably runs into this kind of thing a lot, where people see her, recognize her, and decide that they're going to try to collect the bounty. 
So it's not just the 300 Durad that she's killed. There's also, you know, idiots like this. Which, of course, she also explains in the final panel where she says that there are other people that she killed who don't count in that figure. So who are the four banditos? What do they want? Where do they come from? What will happen to them? Find out next time on the next exciting installment of the Falcon Twin podcast. On to questions. I've got two people who emailed me questions, and one person emailed me several, so I'm going to get to him in a second. A.K. Richards, on the other hand, emailed me one question that I'm going to talk about, another question which I actually covered in the last podcast about Painter and Photoshop, so go listen to that. His question is, I'm a bit confused about the pacing. How long have they been on the road? I'd imagine it would be several weeks to travel from town to town like that, and also considering the relationships the characters have formed. However, the time structure seems to show only a few days passing. How much time has been passed over? Have only a handful of days passed? Well, as much time has passed as you think has passed. That's something that I intentionally leave vague because no matter what number I pick, someone's going to complain about it. I was sort of operating on the idea of it being several days, but, you know, people will say, no one could ever become great with the sword in several days. So in order to prevent that from happening, I just decided to leave it intentionally vague. Even Ennio in Chapter 5 says that Mika and everyone will arrive at near Mara before long. He doesn't give a specific thing like, you know, you'll be there in two days, you'll be there, you know, in a week and a half. It could be as long as you think it is. If you think it should take a couple years, then it's taken a couple years, although you're probably wondering why no one's aged. If you think it's taken a couple of months, it's taken a couple of months. If you think it's taken a couple of weeks, it's taken a couple of weeks. But it's actually more like a few days. Chris Tesmer, on the other hand, emails me a whole bunch of questions, which I'm going to try to go over. Question one, the full story feels like it is just starting to take off after 300-some-odd pages. Do you have an estimate of what the final page count will be, or when you will be finished with it? Well... It depends on what I decide. If I decide to do it the long way, it could take twice as long as it's already taken and twice as many pages, probably a little bit more than that. If I don't go the long way, which I'm kind of leaning to right now, it'll probably be done at the end of Chapter 7 in 100 to 150 pages, so less than a year from now. Next question. In the Alpha Rant interview, you mentioned that your goal is just to finish Falcon Twin, and in your Dead Web Comics podcast, you mentioned that a storyteller who doesn't finish the story they set out to tell has failed at their job. Do you think that there is a risk that you might cut your story short in order to bring it to an earlier close? In that scenario, would you have failed as a storyteller? This is a good question because it's a very pointed question. It makes me very uncomfortable, but it's a, a legitimate question. I think that there is a definite risk of that being a possibility. I'm not going to cut it any shorter than I have to, insofar as if I do stop at the end of Chapter 7, then it will be still a complete story in its own right. So it won't be like I just dropped the ball and said, okay, that's it, goodbye, and people are you know, still left wondering what happened. If I wrap it up at the end of Chapter 7, I'll wrap it up, and it will seem like a complete story, and so it won't be half a story that just kind of drops in the middle and everyone goes, wait, what happens? But I agree that that's a risk, and it could have been a little bit of the pot calling the kettle black in that podcast I did. Question three, is the lesbian romance angle there primarily for plot reasons or as a pretext to draw naked girl-on-girl -girl action scenes? Does traffic spike when those scenes are first posted? As far as traffic spikes go, I wouldn't know because I haven't done a, a lesbian scene in a while and haven't really looked to see whether there's a traffic spike. I don't really think so. Is it there primarily for plot reasons or as a pretext to draw naked girls? Not really so much as a pretext to draw naked girls, as the plan was always to do a lesbian story with the main character who's a lesbian. And, of course, when I got started, the idea of drawing naked girls was pretty much the last thing from my mind, because if you go back and look at the early pages in Falcon Twin, you know, you wouldn't want to really see that with naked girls in it, would you? At least I know I wouldn't. 
there are also things for the plot reasons, you know, because at some point Mika is going to become, or already is, in some ways stronger than Tresca, and it would be kind of weird to have a male romance interest for Mika who was weaker than she was. You could do it, but, you know, and, and sexist though this may be, it's generally kind of weird when you have a female character who's really strong and a male character who's not as strong, and they fall in love. People get a little uncomfortable with that, or at least uh, I know I would. And since Mika was always intended to be a girl, that left the choice being Tresca as a guy or as a girl. And, you know, I, I like lesbians. I think it's a good story thing. Question four. You'd mentioned that your traffic is pretty low. How low is that? Does your daily traffic differ significantly from the expectations you had when you started Falcon Twin? How low is that? Not saying. Although if you listen around carefully, you'd probably find out. Does your daily traffic differ significantly from the expectations you had when you started Falcon Twin? A little bit. After three years, I, I kind of would expect it to be uh, several times what it is, but I, I guess it isn't. Last question. The pages come out on a very consistent schedule. Though, like Alpha Shade, it is very tough on the reader to wait a few days for a single page. To me, this highlights a big difference between webcomic strips and graphic novels. I suspect, solely based on my own behavior, that readers can accept a one-page every X-day schedule for gag-based strips much more readily than for sequential page-driven graphic novels. My routine with graphic novels is to cash up a few weeks, if not months or years, worth of pages in order to read them all in one shot. Have you noticed if this is a common trend among Falcon Twin readers? As far as I know, it's not, although I do know that there are some people besides you who do that, Chris, and that's fine with me. I don't really have a problem with that, although you're missing out on a lot of great conversation in the forums and a really awesome podcast, too. Do you consider it to be a factor in your apparently low daily traffic? Not so much. Because, I mean, people like Mega Tokyo updates three times a week, and he has gobs of readers, so I don't think it's that much of a problem. Although that's not to say that I don't understand why it could be an issue. Finally, would it be worth the hit for a graphic novel, webcomic, to pre-cache pages into mini-story arc issues that get released less frequently, but all at once? Personally, I don't think so. I know that there were a couple of people who did that. I forget who it was, Demonology 101 or someone who would do that, where they would draw a few pages at once and then release them all at once so you could have several pages to read in one shot, and then they would go longer between updates. Personally, I don't think it would make a huge amount of difference either way, and I personally like to see stuff you know, every couple of days instead of having to wait a long time between it. So for that reason, I do it you know, as often as I can instead of holding up the pages to release them. All right, that's it for the questions. Thank you very much, Chris Tesmer and Albin Richards, for sending those. And if you want to have your 15 minutes of fame by having me read your questions on the Falcon Twin podcast, email them to bman at falcontwin.com or post them in the forums, and maybe I'll answer them for you if they're good. So there. <laughs>